Thank you, Gabby and Zach, for leading us in worship. And good to see more of you out this week than there were here last week. And I'm assuming that there's a, the rest of you on Zoom this morning and, and watching over YouTube. It's great that uh, we can join together uh, either way. And just praying that God would uh, bless us as we uh, continue in this series on Philippians. I was driving with uh, Allison and Jack yesterday, and uh, we were going to Allison's dad uh, and his wife's house, and we were having a little bit of a debate in the car. And the question was this, was it a midlife crisis, or was it me being a really good dad? And And the subject was me finally buying a dirt bike. After many years of promising Jack that I would get a dirt bike. I've had bikes probably before I met Allison. So many years ago, uh, I used to have street bikes. Uh, I even had an on-off-road bike that was just strictly for the street. But Jack has had a dirt bike for the last couple of years, and I have said, I'm going to buy a dirt bike. I'm going to buy a dirt bike. And I finally bit the bullet, and I bought a dirt bike this year. And I figured, I mean, how hard can riding a dirt bike be? Uh, And uh, the first day out, we went riding, and it just felt we were out in our fields first and just felt a little unsteady, but I figured, you know, I've seen these guys on TV. They, they can do all sorts of things on these things. And so we went through the, um, the trails that we have on our property and our neighbor's property. And then we got to the back of our property is right beside the 115 and it's very deep um, sand. And I remember when I picked up the bike and I was talking to one of the mechanics, and we were talking about the importance of matching the front tire with the back tire in a dirt bike. He said, because if you don't have the right dirt bike, it can get really squirrely, especially where you're going to be driving. I had no clue what he meant. I go, I'll, I'll figure it out. Well, I came to the back of our property into the deep sand, and I wasn't going very fast, and all of a sudden I realized I have no control of this bike whatsoever. And so I tried to stop, and as I came to a stop, the front end just went out like that, and before I knew it, I was laying in the deep sand with my new bike on top of me, uh, and my shin cut open from the, uh, the foot peg. And I'm laying there, and I realized very suddenly this was a lot harder than I thought, and, and I got a choice to make. I can either push this bike back to the house and sell it and get rid of it, or I'm going to figure out how I can become a better dirt bike rider. And so that became my resolve. And I went back to the house that afternoon, and I sat on YouTube, and I started watching the millions of videos that there are on how to improve the essential principles of how to ride a dirt bike and a trail bike, and I started just soaking all these principles in. And I could spend the rest of the morning just giving you all these principles, and I can't remember all of them, but there was a couple that caught my attention. One was, you have to expect the unexpected. And I'd already experienced that, so I figured I must be well on my way to becoming a pro. Uh, The other one was you have to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And I think I'd mastered that as well, because I really felt uncomfortable riding this bike. But there was a whole bike. I never realized that when you're dirt bike riding, 75, 85% of the time, you're standing. I thought this was going to be okay for a 57-year-old man to get on a dirt bike, and I could just sit on this comfortable seat the whole time. But apparently that's not the way it is. But I realized that I needed to understand and put into place all the principles of being a good 
dirt bike rider if I was ever going to accomplish my goal of, being, of becoming an accomplished dirt bike rider. And I realized that's the same case no matter what the sport is that you choose. Whether you want to be a hockey player, a golfer, a swimmer, uh, a marathon runner, baseball, football, whatever it is, you can't just decide you're going to be good at that sport. You have to understand the essential principles and you have to begin to put them into place and to grow before you can excel at that sport. We've been looking at the, the, Paul's letter to the Philippians and one thing that I love about Paul is he was a sports fan. Paul loved his sports. Uh, some scholars believe that Paul, who was a tent maker by trade, actually set up uh, as a vendor at the Greek World Games, the Corinthian World Games, and sold tents and awnings to participants. Uh, can't verify whether that's true or not, but we, we, we can tell from his writing that he obviously was a spectator, a fan of sports. And Paul saw a lot in common between living the Christian life and participating in a sport. And through his New Testament writings, we see time and time again, he uses illustrations from sports to make his point. And so whether it be wrestling, boxing, running, uh, whether it be talking about winning a prize, the reward, the crown at the finish line, uh, Paul saw these similarities between participating in a sport and, as it were, running the Christian race from the discipline required to perform well all, all the way to the danger of being disqualified. I remember it, when I was 16 years old, so over 40 years ago now, I spent the summer at Crusaders Bible Club Camp as a counselor uh, just outside of Omimi. The, the name has changed of the camp. I can't remember what it's called now, but uh, it was Crusaders back then. And I still can remember the theme verse for that whole summer. And it was Paul writing to the Corinthians where he said, Know ye, and it was in the King James Version we learned it. I, someday I'll have to memorize it in, in uh, the NIV. Uh, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And I've always remembered that verse, and it's right from the world of sports. And even when uh, Paul summed up his life in, uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, the prize at the finish line. You know, it wouldn't have been uncommon for me to have picked up my dirt bike and walked it to the house and taken a picture of it and put it up for sale on Kijiji. You see it all the time. Bought it for my wife. She didn't like it. It's too big for me. It's too small for me. I didn't like it. Yesterday, we just inherited two bicycles that were bought brand new that have never been ridden from Allison's dad. Thought him and his wife would enjoy it and said he never even drove it down his driveway. And you can see golf clubs and tennis rackets. And if you go to a gym, you know how busy it is in January. And then what happens in February and March as people start fizzling out. It's not uncommon for that to happen. And it's true in the Christian life as well. 
There's a lot of people that choose to follow Christ and they, they, they start with great enthusiasm, but then eventually that enthusiasm disappears into mediocrity and, and all of a sudden it's like the, this, this follower of Christ has lost the plot. They forget what their purpose is in life, their, their direction. They've, they've forgotten the prize that awaits uh, at, at the end of the race. And the Christian life isn't a hobby. It's not a, a weekend sport. The Bible says that it, it requires the commitment of one's total life. Last week, Paul was sharing with us from uh, the verses that precede uh, uh, what we're looking at today. And Paul shared his life purpose, uh, his goal, uh, his prize that he knows is awaiting him at the end of his time here on earth. And in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3, and if you don't have your Bible or your app open to Philippians, do that uh, now uh, as I remind you of what uh, Paul was talking about last week. In verses 10 of chapter 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's purpose in life was to know Christ. He wanted to know Christ experientially. He wanted to live life in the power of the resurrection. He wanted to share in the sufferings of Christ. And he looked forward to the day when his time on earth would end. When he would receive from God all that God had in store for him. And he would stand before Jesus. And Jesus would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into glory. Ultimately, Paul wanted to become more and more like Jesus. In action and in thought. And throughout his writings in the New Testament, we see it over and over again. I want to know Christ. I want to become like Christ. I want to be more and more like Christ. And in Romans 8, he says, that's the goal and the purpose for all Christians, all followers of Jesus. Our goal is to become more and more like Jesus in action and in thought. And in the verses I want to look at with you this morning, Paul shares some principles, some tips on how we can effectively grow more and more like Jesus. If the Christian life is a race, Paul's going to share us some principles for running to win. And what are those winning principles? Well, we see them in verses 12 uh, through the end of chapter 3. And the first principle might catch you a little off guard. It might be a bit surprising to you. Uh, it definitely wasn't surprising to me as I lay in the sand with this dirt bike on top of me and blood pouring out of my shin. And the first winning principle is this. It has to start with a dissatisfaction of where you're at right now. If you want to become more and more like Jesus, you have to be dissatisfied where, where you're at right now. And we, we saw last week, as, as Paul Volk shared with us, this impressive spiritual resume that Paul had. Uh, his, his performance, his, his pedigree. For, for anyone who was a zealous uh, follower of Judaism, the Apostle Paul Saul back then was the poster child. 
He, he, he had arrived. He, he, was, he was what you wanted your child to become like. And yet Paul said, all of these things that look really impressive from an earthly standpoint on a spiritual resume, I, I consider them rubbish to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And so we might say, well, that, that's the dissatisfaction. His dissatisfaction was with all these things from, from his spiritual resume that he, that he shares in these earlier verses. But by verse 12 in our passage today, 25 years have already passed. Jesus has already taken hold of Paul's life. He has had some wonderful experiences. He has written some New Testament letters already. He has planted churches. He he has led countless people to Christ. And what does he say in verse 12? Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Paul was dissatisfied with where he was at spiritually. He knew where he wanted to be. He knew what he wanted to become. And he knew he wasn't there yet. And he knew he had a lot of work to do. And he had a lot of room to grow. And so Paul is saying to us, if you want to run to win, if you want to grow more and more like Jesus, then you've got to start by being dissatisfied with, with where you're at right now. And yet what I've, what I've found as I've led in a number of different churches in different capacities is there are a lot of people who profess to be followers of Jesus and yet they've come to a point where they've just kind of fizzled out. And they've chosen, instead of being involved in the race, they've, they've chosen to sit on the sideline and, or, and just be a spectator or, or put their spiritual life in cruise control and just kind of go through the rest of their life at a nice, calm pace. Yeah, Paul says you can't be satisfied with where you're at right now. Take a look at your goal. Take a look at the finish line. And and Paul's first principle, this dissatisfaction, leads to the second principle, this second winning principle that he shares with us. And that is that we we need to have a devoted commitment to never quit training, to never quit growing. I, I had a, a little bit of a chuckle at Graham's expense a few weeks ago. He was sitting at the kitchen table, and uh, I can't remember. I think he shut his, his school computer. Uh, and it was just like this sudden realization had come upon Graham that he was done high school. No more high school. And, and he said something like, I'm so happy. I am not going to have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning anymore to get a bus to go to high school. And I started laughing, and he got mad at me because I was laughing at him. I said, but Graham, the reason I'm laughing is this just begun. You may have to get up at 5 o'clock to get to college in Peterborough, and you may need to get up at 4 o'clock to get to whatever your future job might be. It's just begun. And then just last week, we were at the COVID-style drive-through graduation at Graham's High School. And uh, there was only a few students allowed at the same time. And the students would get their diploma and walk through the line all by themselves. And the principal would make it sound like everyone was there and there's a huge crowd. But it was just us watching. Um, we got to take a few pictures and, you know, grad, you know the diploma. And, and uh, it, it made me think of, you know, the videos you've seen of high school graduations or college graduations. And the hat goes off and they're waving the diploma. And it's like, finally, the time of learning has come to an end, and now I can finally start living life. 
And I'm going, it's just begun. And they'll all figure that out. The learning has just begun. Like, depending on what you want to be, you're going to be learning constantly. And if you want to excel at the field that you choose, uh, the training has just begun. And, and you're going to have to grow in that training. And Paul says in verse 12, I haven't obtained all this. I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on. I press on. Those were words that were used of a sprinter in the Greek world games. Uh, it, it, it referred to a sprinter running as quickly and with as much energy towards their objective, straining with every muscle to get across the finish line. And that's what Paul says. If you want to win the race, if you want to become more and more like Jesus, you have to continue to train. You have to continue to grow. And we get that, right? Like we get that when it comes to life. We get that when it comes to a profession. Like if you want to be the best dentist, the best doctor, the best plumber, the best teacher, the best pizza maker, it takes experience. It takes learning. It takes um, training. And we get that when it comes to sports. People don't play in the NHL by just one day deciding to strap on some skates and go start shooting a puck around. And no professional player that's going to continue to be on their team comes to the first game of the season with not having done any off-season training and watched what they're eating and kept physically fit. We get that. But I'm not sure we always get that when it comes to our spiritual race. That, that we need to be committed. We need to be devoted. We need to be like that sprinter in the Greek world games. Straining with everything within us to grow and to train, to excel, to become more and more like Jesus and to run like a winner. And Paul gives another winning principle. And that is that we have to move forward in the right direction and never look back. And I, I know I don't look like a runner. I, I wouldn't be able to fool you that I'm a runner. But I do know to, that to run forward effectively, you can't be always looking behind you or being distracted by things to the side. And, and although I don't love to run, I don't even like to run, I do love watching fail videos or America's funniest videos. And you've seen them, right? Where someone even walking forward and they're staring at their phone or they're looking off the side and they walk into a pole or they walk, fall into an open sewer. I, you know, for some reason, I find those things humorous, right? You can't be being distracted by the things around you. And, and Paul, twice in, in the, the early verses of our passage, he says that I press on. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then he says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. And what Paul means when he says, I press on, is this. I know where I want to be. I know my goal. And I know where I am. And so I point myself in the right direction. And I keep moving forward. And when it comes to one's spiritual life, Direction makes all the difference. And don't miss Paul's devotion in this forward motion. He says, but one thing I do. 
You know, I read that, it slapped me in the face. Because I discovered, again, what my problem in life is. I have too many but one things I do. So I can never focus on one. But Paul says, but one thing I do. Uh, He's echoing the prayer of King David from Psalm 86, where, where David prays to God, God, give me an undivided heart. And Paul's saying, give me a single-minded focus. And and that's a a really challenging question for all of us. What's the one thing you do? What's the one thing I do? What's that one thing that, if you're being honest, is the priority in your life? What's that one thing that consumes your time, your thoughts, your passions? When you get up in the morning, it's the first thing you think about. When you can't fall asleep at night, you start dreaming about it. What is that one thing that occupies your mind and your heart? Well, for Paul, that that one thing, The one thing that was his priority, his passion, his devotion, that consumed his time and his effort and his plans was to become more and more like Jesus. He says, it's the one thing I do. It's my single-minded focus. And he shares something that's really interesting. Something's really important if you understand the principle that if you want to grow to become more like Christ, if you want to run like a winner, then you've got to move in the right direction. And the best way to move in the right direction is to forget what's behind. You know, you read that and go, forget what is behind. Like, how do we just erase from our memory our past? Well, that's not what Paul means by forget. Are we not supposed to learn from our past experiences? That's not what Paul means by forget. When Paul says forget what is behind, what he's saying is don't let the past control your present. Don't don't be influenced and affected by the negative things. Maybe even some of the positive things as we're going to see from your past. Allow God to break the power of your past by unleashing you from its influence. And Paul says that because he realizes something that's very, very true. One of the greatest barriers to winning the Christian race, to to growing more and more like Jesus, the, the biggest obstacle to moving forward is for some a stubborn unwillingness and, and for others an inability to free ourselves from the past. Instead, we carry the past on us like, like heavy weights and we try to walk the Christian walk. You know, it's, thinking back, this is years and years ago, uh, we lived about a 15-minute walk from the Agent Corp Mall. Wolco was the store of choice. It's now Walmart. And uh, I don't know how old I was, maybe Jack's age, and I decided I was going to become a weightlifter. And uh, I went to Wolco and bought... Uh, some heavier plates for the uh, barbell we had at home, which would have been one of my older brothers. And so I went, I bought two 35-pound plates from Wolco, 
and decided that I was just going to walk home with them. And so I got these 35-pound plates, and I'm 11 or 12 years old, and I start my walk from Woko. Well, over the first couple of minutes, it was fine. But by the time I got to the lights that got us into my subdivision, I was ready to die. I think my arms felt like they grew about a foot. And literally every 30 steps, I had to stop and put the weights down, lean them on my legs, pick them back. It was horrible. I never wanted that experience again. Although now, Graham and even I will do it at the gym. Now that's an exercise. You walk around the track carrying these heavy weights. But it was hard for a person my age. But trying to run the Christian race carrying the weights of the past, that's a burden. It's a burden we don't need to carry. And, and, and what are some of the weights that we carry from our past? Well, sometimes they're, they're accomplishments, right? Some, sometimes we don't move forward because we're too busy staring back at spiritual triumphs of the past. And, and maybe it's a, it's a childhood decision for Christ, or maybe it's a, it's a spiritual mountaintop experience that you had serving Christ. And there's nothing wrong with mountaintop experiences, but as one, as one writer said, sometimes spiritual milestones become spiritual tombstones because we never grow past that point. And we spend the rest of our life staring back at the good old days and our past achievements. And so sometimes those triumphs and successes in the past can actually become a burden and a weight, a barrier moving forward. And for some, it's the weight of hurts. And there are those who have truly been hurt by the church, who have been hurt by other Christians. And they have decided that if this Christian or that church has hurt me that bad, than throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I'm sitting on the sidelines or I'm, I'm checking out. No forward progress. And then probably the most popular weight that we carry is, is the weight of sin. Past sin and, and the guilt uh, that we carry with it. And if there's anyone that should have wallowed in the, the guilt of their sin, it was Paul. And Paul said, I was, I was chief of sinners. I was a persecutor of the church. I was a sworn, zealous enemy of Christ. And Paul could have allowed that to be a weight that he never moved forward past. But Paul realized he had a choice. He he could carry the past sin and guilt as a weight. Or he could receive the forgiveness that God offered him. And we know that Paul chose the latter. And he was able to move forward knowing that he was forgiven. He was redeemed. He was justified. And he goes on and on and on in his letters talking about all that was accomplished because Jesus died for his sins and he accepted the gift of forgiveness. But I, I personally know how easy it is to carry on that weight, to hold those weights, the temptation to live in the past. As one who preaches quite a bit, there's a temptation to always use illustrations from my past. And you've probably heard numerous illustrations I've shared from a mission trip I did when I was in my 20s with the youth group from Pickering when we went to the inner city of Los Angeles. It was life-changing for me. And I've shared so many stories from that in different sermons, which, which is okay. But I got challenged by my wife one day. She said, Brent, is that the only mountaintop experience that you can share from? Like, is there nothing more? And it's true. 
and it's been a challenge to me. And I know what it's like to carry the weight of people hurting me. Again, when you stand up behind a pulpit, as often as I do, people say things. People have opinions. I've been hurt. Hurt really bad by people and what they've said. And it is a weight. It is an obstacle in growing more and more like Christ in thought and in action because sometimes I just don't want to forgive that person for saying such a hurtful thing. And I know what it's like to carry the weight of past sin and guilt. Why would God use someone like me? Why would God use any of us with the things that we've done? And yet he chooses to. And Paul says, if you want to win the race, you want to run like a winner, you want to grow more and more like Christ, move forward in the right direction and never look back. Don't let the past control and be an obstacle and a barrier to the present. Paul then gives us a fourth winning tip. He says, if you want to run like a winner, train with winners. You want to grow? Follow the example of those who are growing. When I was in grade 13 at high school and we'd finished our football season, I was approached by a couple of different Toronto universities, uh, one specifically York University, and, and they were encouraging me to, to go to their school and to take part in their football program. And, and the coach invited me to train with the team in the offseason and said it would be really good for me. I'd be able to train with, with people who, players that were older, more experienced, more skilled, and I could learn from their failures and, and, and their successes. And it was really, really helpful uh, to me. And, and Paul says the same thing applies to the Christian life. If, if you want to grow, then you, you need to follow the example of those who are more mature and are growing as well. In the last number of weeks, and I've repeated it over and over and over again, remember I've said that, that Paul says to the Philippians, and, and by extension to us, you need to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You need to live in unity and harmony. You need to imitate the mindset of Christ. You need to shine like bright lights uh, in a dark world. And I asked the question a couple of weeks ago, well, what does that look like? And Paul says, you want to know what it looks like? Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. They are examples of what it looks like to do all those things. But, but in our text today, Paul says in verse 17, join together in following my example. You want to know what it looks like to, to run the waste race to win? Do you want to know what it looks like to grow more and more like Jesus? Follow my example. Now, who says those kind of things? Like, is he some kind of a braggart? Has he, has he changed his mind in like two or three verses? Because at one point he was dissatisfied with where he's at. And now he's saying, no, no, follow my example. Uh, don't misunderstand what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, follow my example as I follow the, the example of Christ. And a few weeks ago he says, follow the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus as they follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
Uh, one preacher wrote, the Christian life is, is like a long parade from heaven to earth with Jesus at the lead, step by step leading his people to glory. It's a long road with many twists and turns, but Jesus is fully committed to seeing that we make it in the end. Since the parade is long and filled with millions of people, we need folks in front of us who can keep us on track. We need mentors, models, people further along the spiritual journey who can keep us pointed towards the Lord. Without such input, we're likely to veer off the trail and end up in the wilderness. And as I I read that quote, I thought back a number of years ago, I was at uh, Allison's cousin's cottage with our college and career group from a church in Toronto. And it was a Sunday morning and one of the um, guys that was up with us needed to use a phone. Well, back then there was no phones at the cottage. No one had cell phones. Uh, We had to go through a trail through the bush to get to where the mine was. And where the mine was, there was a payphone. And so four of us set out early that morning to go get to the payphone. And I led them. We were on three-wheelers. If you remember back when the four-wheelers, there was three-wheelers. And there was four of us. And I led the trail. I led, the, led us through the trail. We got to the mine. The guy made the phone call. And we started on our way back. And at one part of the trail, there's a really sharp turn in the path. And if you don't make the turn, you're into the bush. And it's like about a 10-foot drop. And it's big trees all around. And I went around the turn fine. The guy that was following me was following me fairly closely. Uh, he went around the turn fine. The third person in the line had allowed himself to f- fall behind. And so he was trying to catch up. And he came to this sharp turn and realized there was no way he was going to make the turn. And instead of trying to make the turn, he bailed off the three-wheeler. And so he jumped, landed on the trail, and the bike just went flying into the bush, crashing. Dust everywhere. We can imagine what the fourth person who was following had happened to him. He had no clue that there was even a turn because it was all dust. And he literally probably at 20, 30 kilometers an hour rode this three-wheeler straight off the turn and hit a tree about 10 feet up in the air and totally destroyed uh, the three-wheeler. And I thought that's, that's what it can be like as we're in this spiritual parade. And we're following the example of people and and. They're following our example. And the question we have to ask ourselves, whose example are we following? Are we following the example, the lead? Do we have a mentor or a Christian hero of the faith who's going to keep us on the straight and narrow path? Or have we allowed ourselves to get sloppy and we're following someone who's going to lead us into disaster? And then then the equally uh, important question, and I think it's even scarier, who's following you? Like I've said, that the world, those who don't yet follow Christ, they're watching us. And, and they're, they're forming their opinion on Christians and Christianity and on Jesus and on the church based on what they read concerning you. But there's also Sunday school age children. There are people in youth group. There are people who are new to the faith and they're watching us also. They're seeing how we live out our Christian life. And and they may honestly believe how Brent lives, that's what it's supposed to be like. And that may be good or that may be bad. Who are you following and who is following you? And Paul says there's a flip side to this as well. If you want to grow, it's important that you train with winners. But we need to beware of and stay clear 
of those who hinder our growth in Christ. Paul, Paul calls them enemies of the cross, and, and scholars aren't really sure who exactly Paul's talking about. Is that just talking about a non-Christian? And, and understand this, let me preface this point. I'm not talking about, nor is Paul talking about evangelism and outreach. If, if you're working with Youth Unlimited, or if you're working the, on the corners in Peterborough, and your, your purpose for being there is to shed the light of Christ in a dark world and to share the good news of Jesus, you can't help but be growing to be more and more like Jesus in behavior and in thought. So, so don't get me wrong here. But there are relationships that pull us away from Jesus. And Paul calls them enemies of the, enemies of the cross. And, and many scholars believe he's actually talking about people from within the church who profess to be saved, but they really aren't. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They, they, they live for self-gratification. They brag about their sin. And Paul says, beware of them. Stay clear of them. Don't let them pull you away from Jesus. And I would expand that to any relationship that pulls you away from Jesus. And, and I don't think I have to expand on it because I think if, you, if this is resonating with you, you know the relationship I'm talking about. It might be a romantic relationship. It could be a friendship relationship. It could be a work relationship, uh, a neighborhood relationship. If you're in a relationship and it is pulling you away from Jesus, the Bible is very clear. You need to cut that relation off. No questions asked. You want to run to win, you train with winners. And then the final last point is that if you want to run to win, don't forget whose team you're on. And don't forget where the goalpost lies. I've shared with this many times to you what I said to the kids when they would go out to the school bus. Don't forget who you are, what you are, why you are. You're a Mackie, represent our family well. You're a Christian, represent Christ well. You are an ambassador. You are a witness. You are a disciple of Jesus, and that's what you're to do. That's your purpose, to shine the light, to, to share Jesus. Paul, Paul starts verse 20 with this huge contrast. He says, the enemies of the cross, they live with their focus on this earth and self-gratification. And in verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, we, our bodies, our life might reside here on earth, but our, but our heart belongs to heaven. And Paul says that's the heavenly perspective that we need to have if we are going to run this Christian race to win, if we are going to grow more and more like Jesus. And he ends our passage with some truths that are, that are to delight us, to, to help us maintain this heavenly perspective. He says, Your citizen, our citizenship is in heaven. We, we don't belong here. We are from another place. And he says, Jesus is coming back. We, we often forget that. Jesus is coming back and we need to live like a child who's eagerly awaiting at the front door for their parent to come home from work. We eagerly await Jesus to come back who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, there is coming a day when everything will be made right. And just as Paul has told us in Philippians chapter 2, he's going to bring everything under his control. He's going to subject everything under his control. Everything's going to be all right. 
And there's going to come a day when he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The best is yet to come. And that's what awaits us at the finish line. When Allison and I, or sorry, when Jack and I come back from a, from a bike ride, often Allison asks Jack, but I, I'm thinking she's asking both of us, how is the ride? And I'm, I'm sure when, when you have gone out and participated in a sport and you come home, your loved ones will ask you, so how was your run? How was your swim? How was your golf game? Paul's asking us this morning, how is your spiritual race? Are you running like a winner? Are you running in a way that you will become more and more like Jesus? If that's your resolve, then put into practice these principles that he shares with us in this text. So that we, just like Paul, when we get to that finish line, to the end zone, we can hear those words, well done, my faithful servant, enter into glory. The best is yet to come.